welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Today we are continuing in our week two. How many enjoyed Eduardo last week? Stepped in. Amazing. Thank you so much, Eduardo for bringing the word last week. And we're going to continue on that track, week two, of our heart work. Everyone say heart work. Say it with me. Heart work is hard work. The hardest work is heart work. It's not handy work. It's not mental work. It's heart work. Really dealing with the matters of the heart. This is where all the issues come from. Proverbs 4 says, out of the heart... It says, guard the heart above all else. Guard the heart with all diligence, because out of the heart come a whole bunch of garbage. A whole bunch of issues of life come out of that place. The deepest place of who we are and where we're at in life. And so we're going to continue on this track. And, you know, we, we, we are doing this leading up to December 4th, very important Sunday. And it's our House of Hearts Sunday. We do this every year. We're doing this for since 2012 basically, and at the end of every year, we take up a special year-end sacrificial offering above and beyond normal giving. This is like a step into something different financially. This is not uh, your normal giving. This is above and beyond, and we do this once a year uh, on December 4th. It's usually the last, within the first two weeks of December every single year, and we do this for a number of reasons. We do this to Work on the heart of generosity in our culture. Because giving is more about what you get from it and what God does in your heart than what you're just giving to. If you've been generous in any area of life, you know this to be true. When you give and you let something go that's precious to you, yes, you're loving being able to bless an individual. You're loving to be able to see the fruit of what your giving is doing. But it does something on the inside of you that there is no price tag for. It changes the heart. It changes the perspective. Some people almost give selfishly because they love how it makes them feel. You know what I'm talking about. They love how it makes them feel. It's almost a pride in giving. And I would say that motive is everything. Motive is super important when you give. And so we, we do this. We give our house an opportunity so that we can end the year strong and start the year off even stronger. And it allows us to do stuff like a little bit of expanding in different areas. It allows us to give more. It allows us to create a stronger community financially. It does so many things for our house. And I, I want to read what we reported last year. Just to give those maybe that weren't here, I mean, we kind of came out of a pandemic, so it's a really weird scenario. This is the first House of Hearts that we've done in person for two seasons, I think, for two Decembers. Correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, because, yeah, we had 100 Sundays online. Can you believe that? We had 100 Sundays online. We had 100 Sundays. Why is nobody responding? 100 Sundays, you guys, online. I tell my friends that in the U.S. are like, oh, my gosh, and you're still standing. 
Sometimes I feel like barely, but yes, we are still standing. But this is some of what we did, and you can see the timeline on here, but what we were able to do, I can't remember what the total was that came in from that offering now. Does anybody, does, do we have that up, up there? But anyways, this was what we were able to do with the 2021, from 2020 to 2021, and we reported this last year. We were able to give 19000 into the Holiday Dream 2020, Caring and Sharing Exchange, which allows us to partner and give away gift cards to all those in need in, in, in Ottawa, uh, women's shelters, local benevolence, different ministries within the city, Jericho Road, which is an addiction center helping those recover from addiction. Those were just some of the local city initiatives. Then we see here a national, international initiatives, Deborah's Gate, which really is an organization along with, it's actually the same name now, they changed the name basically, but the focus is to help end human trafficking in our country, in our country. Uh, we partner with a church planting organization every single month that's planting life-giving churches around the country. We love our Christian Services Association, another organization that we, par we partner with monthly, monthly that are doing amazing things. I don't have time to read all this. It's actually on our website. You can click some of the links and read, read it for yourself. Bridges for Peace, which really focuses on sowing into and being generous to Israel. We believe in partnering with what's happening. Isn't Isra Israel God's hometown? Literally God's hometown. Partnering with God's what we do. Partner with God's hometown. And uh, another, another uh, in Canada, media building project. And we felt to also sow into worship as we believe worship is a huge part of what we feel we are called to. And so we put our money where our mouth is. And you are a part of that. And we were able to give away $79,000. Yeah, like that deserves a little bit of a, a clap. And so just to give you a little bit of an update, this is, this is why we do the House of Hearts. And this year, we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to talk about what we were able to do in the previous year, because every year has a little bit of a different initiative, and we coming out of a pandemic, you know, our heart in this next season is to really see this go up a notch for the purpose of expansion in a building. You know, and so this, this year, we're just believing God that there would be some major breadcrumbs along this journey to help us move into that space. I, I've come to the conclusion that, and this is mostly the way it is, that no bank's really going to touch us. You know, we almost bought a building in July. We tried. We stepped out. We had the, the down payment. We had the first step, and the offer was, uh, didn't get accepted. But we're knocking on doors. Remember that. We're not giving up. We're not giving up. But I've come to the conclusion that no banks probably will touch us because most banks don't like charities. They don't deal with charities most of the time. Uh, they're too much of a liability, uh, uh, banks working with charities. And so most, you know, this is what I've come to the conclusion. We're going to need a crazy miracle. But we serve a God of miracles. You know, we're going to need, we're, we're going to, you know, first of all, the finances speak when you're dealing with the purchase of an asset, purchasing of an asset. And we're going to need to believe God for a crazy financial miracle. Or someone's going to give us a building, one of the two. <laughs> someone's going to sell a building into us. Something, something radical and extreme is going to happen. I want to read the scripture today out of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. It says this. When King David lived in his house, which was a palace, and the Lord had given him rest 
from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God, which represents the presence of God, dwells within tent curtains. Otherwise, there was, what he's saying is, I'm living in this amazing house, but the house of God is still mobile. It's a good word for us. You know, we're living in stability in the same space every single week, but the house of God doesn't have a place to call home yet. We're still renting one day a week on a Sunday morning, coming in, setting up, tearing down. 15 different venues in seven years. Although God is in all of that and is in those processes, David in this context was like, this something is just not okay with me. And even though God was even okay with it, God was actually okay with it, but he honored the heart of David. Listen to what he says here. I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And Nathan said to the king, go, this is his prophet, go, do everything that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. His prophetic friend, Nathan, saw the heart of David. He saw the true heart of a true king that said something is not right about this situation. I'm living in stability, and yet the house of God is living in some form of instability. You hear what I'm saying? There's a heart in me to see what God wants to do take place in my lifetime. There's a heart in me that wants to see kingdom culture get a home again, because we had a home at one point. I want to see kingdom culture get a home again. So we're not just coming on the weekends once a week. But we have a place where we can do events and do conferences and do midweek things and build team and different ministries and different things can go on without having to rely on somebody else's facility. To me, something is not totally right with that perspective. And I think God likes us to live in that tension. Although it may be God's plan for a season, he likes us to live in the tension of knowing what should be even in the midst of what is. David had a feeling that there should be something different happening. But yet he lived in the tension of what was and was living comfortable in his house, in his palace, and was like, something is not totally right. I need to change something. And this is what we begin to see the heart of David. We begin to see the heart of David in moments like these. And you know that he was the greatest king Israel ever had. David was known as the greatest king that Israel ever had. And so I think, yes, we follow Jesus as our ultimate prototype in Scripture, but there are certain figures that exemplify and demonstrate certain traits that are really inspiring. And David was one of those individuals. And he had a heart clearly connected to his because Nathan the prophet could see, okay, go and do everything that's in your heart and God will do it for you. God will make it happen. For the Lord is with you. Dave, Nathan saw something that maybe David himself didn't even see in the moment. There's something about that statement, David, that you want to build a house for God. You want to give stability to the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark which represents the presence of God. We want to house the presence of God. Now let me just flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 5 for a second. And, and, and we see like that Solomon. Now, if you know a little bit about the Old Covenant temple that was built, the greatest temple, the greatest church. It was probably like a, I think they, they, they say it was like a, oh, I, 
can't remember now, but it was in the billions. It was in the billions. And our dollar today would be in the billions, this church. Imagine a church that was over a billion dollars. You imagine that? Imagine that. It would be so offensive. Yeah, it would be very offensive. But it actually it was God's design. Now, this is in the Old Covenant, but God had a plan. I'm going to build like a billion dollar. It was a multi-billion dollar temple that's going to honor me. Because, you know what? He's the best God. He's big G. He's not small G God. He's big G God. Therefore, he deserves big G stuff. He deserves the best. He deserves our best. And this was David's heart. Although David didn't end up being the one to build the temple, he was the one that had the vision, and he was the one that resourced the temple. His son Solomon, whose name means peace, is what is who built the temple. Because peace builds the house, always. And he was a man of war. He was a man of war. And so God's like, you know, you got too much blood on your hands, man. You know, you're, you're like, yes, you're going to go down in history as like the greatest king Israel ever had. But your son, who has no war, blood on his hands, he's, his name is Peace. Solomon was what his, what his name was. His, na- his name means peace. And he's going to build the temple. And he's going to build it in Jerusalem. Jerusalem means peace. Peace is going to build in peace. And then you're going to have peace. Because you can't build anything with chaos. Just a, a reality. If you want to build a business, you want to build anything. You can't build with chaos. You have to build with peace. So Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 5 says this. The house, speaking of what God is going to do through Solomon, the house I am building has to be the best. For our God is the best, far better than competing gods. This is why we encourage team. We don't desire to be the best in the city. We desire to give our best as a local community to his house because he is the best. And when we don't bring our best in the context of community, we are actually become, we become a, a, a disfigured local church body. What I mean by that is half of the body is functioning and half of it's paralyzed. Imagine this. Like this looks like a, like a zombie. Okay, this is what a lot of local churches look like, by the way. They barely are making it 80% of the weight or 100% of the weight is on 20% of the people. And so we're kind of like part of us is paralyzed and we can't be the person or be the body we are called to be because not all parts of the body are functioning. Everybody that is has let Jesus into their life is a part of his body. You've been, you've been grafted in to his body. You're called the body of Christ. He is the head and you are the body. You might be the hand. You might be the elbow. You might be the knee joint. You might be the arch and the feet. You might be the butt. I don't know what you are. You might be the, like the ears. I don't know what it is for you. But whatever it is, if you're functioning at your best, the whole body functions at their best. If you are dysfunctioning or not functioning, the body is not functioning at its best. And this is not to put a a burden on you. This is just a reality. And I'm not saying that it means you have to be involved every single week. I'm just saying there comes a time where you can't just be a part of the house. God wants to plant you in the house. Because only plants that are planted prosper. Just being a part and an observer eventually you will get dull, you will get bored, you'll come to church, 
You'll fall asleep in these nice, comfortable chairs. You'll go on your phone. You'll tune out because you're disconnected. God doesn't want a disconnected body. Solomon had this heart to build the best house. It's kind of a picture uh, of, of the gospel in a sense where the father, David, set it up, resourced it all, gave his son to build the temple in peace, and the son finished the work. Jesus, the son on the cross, said, it is finished. So for week two of heart work, I want to talk about the heart of a king. Everyone say heart of a king. God wants to, I believe today, raise in you and raise in me, raise in all of us as a local community a kingly mindset. He wants to give you a kingly mindset. Some of you have a survivor mindset. Some of us have a barely make it through mindset. God wants to give us a kingly mindset as we dive into a little bit of the heart of David. And something we need to understand about David too was according to scripture, what made David or what made the statement about David true that he was one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. And the statement was that he was a man after God's own heart. You've heard the statement before probably. David, the king, the greatest king Israel ever had, was a man after God's own heart. Did he mess up? Yeah, he did, big time. Made some big mistakes. But he was a man after God's own heart, even in the midst of those mistakes. But you know what made him a man after God's own heart? Do you know why that statement was true? We see this in actually in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. says this, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. Saul was the previous king, the first king. God removed Saul because of Saul's disobedience, replaced him with David. A man about whom God said... God said this, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why was he a man after God's own heart? It says in the next line, why? Is it even on the screen? No one's going to read it aloud. It says here, he will do everything that I want him to do. What makes you a woman or a man after God's own heart is when you can come to a place of full surrender and do whatever God wants you to do despite your reputation, despite how it makes you feel, despite the inconvenience, despite the sacrifice that it entails, despite the hardships that come along the way, the journey, the trial, despite all the junk that eventually stands in front of you, you're willing to push through it all because you have a heart after his, and that the way that that's demonstrated is to do whatever he wants you to do, willingness, surrender. And this is my prayer for his church, that we would have a willingness and a surrender to do what he wants us to do all the time. When things change, when things come our way that we didn't expect, we adapt, we move, we shift, we pivot, and we continue to do what God wants us to do despite how it makes us look, despite how it makes us feel. This is one of the reasons why people don't want to get involved often in team. Well, it's too early. We start to church too early. The reason why we start church so early right now in this season is because Cineplex changed their rules of when we have to get out of here. So we had to pivot. We had to adapt. But one of the number one comments I get is you start too early. We can't do really much about that. And if we did, everything would be a lot shorter, and it would almost feel like, man, we have all this time and effort sewing into setting up and creating a space for everyone to come 
And even if we are small right now, creating a space for everyone to come and worship together, I mean, our priority is to give God some time together. But we can't let the inconveniences, we can't let the the challenges stop us because we want to be people after God's own hearts. You know what God's heart is? To build his church. And he made a promise through Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against us, against it. You know who the church is? It's you. It's not a building. It's not a Sunday morning. That's not the church. You are the church, the people. You are the people. But we live in Canada. It's cold. We need a place, a building where we can gather together as a people and create something that looks like a healthy body to display the power of a loving God to our community. But we cannot do that if we do not have people connected the way that they should be, offering their best to his house. And that's why we do this series, and that's why we do this House of Hearts offerings, because it's one of the ways that we can step out into this. It's one of the ways that we can grow into this. It's one of the ways that we can learn about honoring the house of God. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, but now your kingdom, speaking of Saul, must end, for the Lord has sought out a man. We see it again, after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of this people, of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. But he was not leading the people for a while. He was appointed, or he was anointed for it, but not appointed yet. We talked about this two weeks ago. He was anointed. He was given the command. He's going to be the next king, but he never sat in the throne for some time after, many, many, many years later. David was a king that had to learn. I, lo- I, I, I love David. This is the thing here. This is, I, I want to say this. I wasn't going to say this, but, you know, I, I, I was reading some John Maxwell stuff. You know who John Maxwell is? And he's, he's a great, great thought leader, great leader, um, probably considered one of the greatest leadership gurus out there. And he's a faith-based man, and he, uh, he, he made these two statements, and I, I won't get the quote right. Um, I actually share about them in one of the schools that I, I, I teach. But he, he makes this statement about how basically the, 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 the substance of the quote is about how marketplace people feel when it comes to their resources versus how pastors feel. Now, I, I have the privilege of kind of swimming in both camps a little bit, but I, and I understand the thinking of both types of people. The marketplace people, and I've had a lot of interactions with extremely wealthy people, and the number one thing that usually comes out at some point is that these really wealthy people feel like they're like an ATM machine for charities in the church. And they, they almost, they, they almost um, are embittered towards the way the church has seen people with wealth. And then you have pastors and ministry leaders in vocational ministry that kind of carry the, let's call it the priestly role for a second, that then complain because they're barely paid enough they, they, and they complain to the church or to the business people that they give all this time and they're barely surviving themselves. They're not being remunerated for it. Both sides of the coin, both extremes complain. 
And what ends up happening is they've let their blessing become a burden they no longer want to carry. Here's the reality. If God has blessed you, you have a responsibility to steward that blessing. I don't care if you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader and you have no money, or you're a wealthy individual and has a lot of money. I don't care what camp you swim in, where you land. If God has blessed you with time, give your time. If God has blessed you with money, give your money. Be generous. There's a reason why God has blessed you. To steward it on the earth. Manage it well and let that blessing become a blessing to other people. Let me give this warning to all of us out there. Don't let your blessing become the burden you complain about carrying. I hear, and I, 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 like I said, I'm in both sides. I'm in both camps. I hear both sides of the coin. Well, I give all my time. These pastors that are burnt out that leave ministry, I've seen so many of them over the years, that leave ministry and go into the marketplace because they barely survived. And they complain about people sucking like vampires their time. I'm using aggressive language here. And then you have business people, like I said, on the other side of the coin, marketplace people that have the money that are like, I don't want to go to the church because all I feel is they want my money. Neither of those are true, by the way. They're just perspectives because we get embittered because we get burnt out. Bridges get burnt. But what God wants to do in this hour in the body of Christ and in this house is raise a kingly mindset. And the only way you raise a kingly mindset is if you first have the proper priestly mindset in place. Because God, Revelation says this, God has made you both priest and king. So you're like, what am I talking about? Well, priest represents your connection to the house of God, the people of God. The priest represents how you translate the mission of your life into your everyday life. The priest represents your ministry before God day and night, not just on a Sunday. Your priestly mindset is how are you leading your home? How are you leading in your relationship? How are you being the example as what the Bible calls you an ambassador of Christ? That's your priestly mindset. Your kingly mindset is how you then take that and rule in society. And I use that term because it's true. Kings rule. Kings rule. They operate in a form of rulership. That's not, don't take that out of context and be like, oh, it's a narcissistic, I'm a ruler. No, that's not what I'm talking about. A kingly mindset, it takes dominion in the culture, sees transformation in the culture, understands their role in influencing the culture. They don't just have a job nine to five. They have a role and mission and vision within that job nine to five to be an influence. That's a kingly mindset. And when those two things come into harmony, balance happens. And how do I know this? Because there's a prophecy in Zechariah that talks about Jesus, and it says that Jesus the Messiah, the coming Messiah, would find the balance, the word is harmony, between both his role as priest and king. He understood his role as priest, as the great high priest, and guess what? He was the king of kings. And the book that John had about the visions of Jesus and the end times states that we are both priests and kings. We have a priestly role and a kingdom role, a kingly role. And I want to get this kingly role right in this season. I want to see, I, 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 I believe God wants to see all of us in this room get closer to that heart of a king. Not a heart of a survivor, but the heart of a king. David had this heart. Let me read this to you. 
Psalms 84, verse 10. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship, beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. This is, listen, this is one of the wealthiest dudes is saying, I got the palaces, I got the money, I have everything that I need. I am the king. I am kingpin, top dog. No one's going to mess with me. Mafia leader, spiritual mafia, heavenly mafia. No one will mess with me. And yet I would rather, listen to what he says here, I would rather spend one day in the house of God, this beautiful place of worship, than spend thousands on Greek island beaches sipping whatever you're sipping. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. He was juxtaposing these two opposite realities and saying, man, like, listen, I have, I've had it all. I have it all. But I see the eternal value of the house of God, and I'd rather be there if I had to choose than over here. That's a priestly, that's a priestly mindset that made him the greatest king Israel ever had. That's a priestly mindset that made him the greatest king that Israel ever had. Let me say it again. He had a priestly mindset in that moment that we see here that made him the greatest because he was willing to do whatever it took to follow after God's own heart. And God's heart has always been his people. And his people are the house of God. It says here, all sunshine and sovereign is God, generous in gifts and glory. He doesn't scrimp with his traveling companions. It's smooth sailing all the way with God of the angel armies. Now, it's the same, tra- the same verse in the New American Standard Version says this. For a, this is how you've all heard it probably. For a day in your courtyards is better than a thousand, a thousand elsewhere. I would rather stand at the threshold as a VIP host at the door on Sunday mornings. That's what he's saying. I would stand on the threshold of the house of God, the auditorium, the, 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 the secret place, the holy of holies, the, the place where we gather, the inner courts. I'd rather stand at the threshold, like barely in than not be in at all. That's what he said. I'd rather be barely in than not in at all. It says here, than to live in the tents of wickedness. This is the heart of a king. To honor the king by creating a space for him to move. This is why we believe in the house of God. To honor the king by creating a space like this, week in and week out, hopefully one day with our own building, during the weekdays sometimes as well, on the weekends, other things going on, creating a space for God to do what he wants to do. Psalms 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know what that word delight means? It means keep your heart soft. Keep your heart soft. If you want the desires of your heart, keep your heart soft towards God. The thing that stops us from reaching and fulfilling and experiencing the desires of our heart, you know what it is? Bitterness. Bitterness sometimes not just towards people, but towards God. God didn't do it when I wanted him to do it. God didn't, you know, pull through the way I thought he was going to pull through. God didn't answer with the solution I thought he was going to give me when I wanted it to happen. It didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen. Therefore, God must not love me. God's not kind. How can he be good? He didn't do anything that I wanted him to do when I wanted him to do it. He didn't work out for me. I tried him like a pair of pants, but he didn't fit very well because he didn't fit the way I wanted him to fit. So, therefore, I excommunicated him from my life. Therefore, I am bitter at a God I don't even love, don't even like never even really served in my life, never ministered to. 
This scripture is all about keeping your heart soft towards God when you have an opportunity to keep your heart hard because things didn't go your way. I want to give you some keys here. I know I, that was my introduction. <laughs> that was my introduction. 1044, baby. That was my introduction. <laughs> these, are, these are short, though. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> first Kings, not First Kings, sorry. Number one, write this down. Number one. I want to talk about things that drove the heart of David, that made him have the heart of a king. Can we do that? You want to learn about the heart of a king? Yeah, you have to say yes. You have no choice, really, right? Number one, kings fight for what they believe in. Put that down. Kings fight for what they believe in. You want the heart of a king? Fight for what you believe in. Don't be a weak. Listen, don't be scared to not be politically correct. Don't be scared to speak what you believe. If this is the moment that you are scared and you muzzle yourself from what you believe is the moment that you throw the kingly mindset out the door. Because kings fight for what they believe in. If you feel muzzled, if you feel like you can't say what you think when you... Listen, there's a difference between fools vent all their feelings, like Proverbs says... The wise hold their tongue, okay? There's a very big difference from that, just venting, to actually speaking what you believe. Kings fight for what they believe in. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, we see it. He says here, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tents of curtains. This juxtaposition was too great for him. He, it's like, I live here in this amazing palace, but look at... The ark of God, it's like still mobile. It has no place. It has no home. It's funny because I shared, I, six years ago when Michelle and I moved into the house we're in now, I shared this, this statement about how I felt like this season was going to be about establishing our personal lives. And that there would be an establishment of the house of God. And I rewatched this recently, actually. Little did I know that six years later, we'd still be in that process. When the reason why I say this is because in this context, and I'll get into this in point number two, God had to establish David's dynasty and family and give him the promise of that establishment give him stability before David had the capacity even to think about building the house of God this way. There are some things that have to come into order in your life before you can do other things is what I'm trying to say. Now, let me just continue on here. It says in Psalms 132 verse 3, it says, I absolutely will not enter my house. This is where David got to. He got to this place of desperation, nor get into my bed. I will certainly not permit my eyes to sleep nor my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob, Israel. I wonder if collectively everyone in this house and even those that are not present right now with us today, collectively, if we shared the same heart to see God move in the city, what would actually happen? I wonder. I wonder. And this is the difference between observers in the house of God and participants. The, the big difference, because observers won't ever really have that heart the same way until you're in, until you plant yourself. 
a plant that's planted in the garden feels the nutrient strength from other plants that are also planted in the same garden. If you're disconnected in a pot by yourself, you'll never feel what it feels like to be connected. And until you do, you won't have the strength you need and the vision to see what God really could do through a planted garden, a planted house. Are you here this morning? Man, I feel like, uh, I don't know, this is like a, this is like a gloomy tiredness. I don't know. Some of you are sleeping. Okay. So kings fight for what they believe in. Write that down. I want to encourage you in this season to fight for what you believe in in your workplace. Fight for what you believe in in your family. Fight for what you believe in because that's what kings do. That's what kings do. Kings fight for what they believe in. They fight. Fighting looks like something, by the way. Fighting looks like something. It actually looks like action. It's active. I'm not saying you're, you got, you know, you're actually physically, violently, like, taking out, you know, the opposition. But there is an element where you stand for what you believe in so true that it actually not only just does it bring opposition, it actually fights the opposition. Kings, number two, kings live for legacy. Write that down. Kings live for legacy. Some verses later, verse 11 to 16 in 2 Samuel chapter 7, says, furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. So after David releases this heart, to his God, that I want to build a house for you. God's like, okay, awesome, I see your heart. Nathan the prophet can see that I am with you, and I'm going to do whatever it is that's in your heart. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it. And as a result, David, I'm going to give you this promise. The Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. I'm going to make your legacy so strong, it's going to go all the way to the Messiah himself. I'm going to make your legacy so incredible because this is what the heart of a king understands, that their life is not just for them. It's for everyone that comes after them. Everything you do today has an eternal value attached to it, whether you believe it or not, and it affects the next generation. You may not have any kids yet. You might be in a place where, you know, you're still, you're still young in your faith, but realize this, that everything you do right now, your winning in life affects the next generation that will come after you. I remember I was in Ireland in 2008 speaking and ministering, and I remember this man, my, Michelle and I were, were somewhat newly married at that point still, and we were in, um, we were in th- this house. I was being hosted by this, this family, and I remember sitting at their kitchen table, and this man, the, the, the father of the house, prophesied this like 30-minute word over me about God building me a house. The same, actually the same exact promise about legacy and about dynasty and about kingship, the same exact verse that I just read, he basically prophesied this over me, that God wanted to build me a house. And I remember in Ireland, uh, I, I remember like I, I wept. on. I, I remember weeping, he, his table had like this weird coating on top of it. I wept for so I wept so long that the next morning my my tears were still on his table. Like you could see the stain of my tears. It was so intense. And I knew so, I was tapping into something at that point. I was tapping into something. And it's funny because that same week we had just committed to be a part of the church that we are now leading today. And when I came back, so I knew there was something about legacy. Four years later, little did I know 
that I was going to have my third child on the day that this would all begin. His name is Ezekiel, and we gave him the middle name Legacy because I knew that it was a sign. That night, the night after the Sunday morning, where all of this began, now it was a lot different back then, a lot different. All of this began, I had my third child, my, my firstborn son. And we put the, 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 the name Legacy in his middle name because of this. Because kings think about the future. Kings think about legacy, what we're going to leave behind to the next generation. Everything you do today has an eternal value. When you give, you know that those that have given sacrificially over the years that give week in, week out, you're giving so somebody else can sit in this room. Maybe those individuals have never given ever. Your sacrifice has created a space for somebody else to encounter God. That has eternal value on it. Your involvement on team, whether it's six every once every six weeks or once every two weeks, creates a space for someone to encounter God. That has eternal significance attached to it. You're thinking legacy at that point. When you do these things, you are thinking legacy. You are operating with the heart of a king. Number three, write this down. Kings have a generous heart. We're almost done here. Kings have a generous heart. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. Then the king, then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command. This is David speaking, by the way. I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Then he goes on through what he's giving. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood. Great quantities of onyx, precious stones, jewels, fine stone, marble. And it says in verse 3, And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. Basically, he's encouraging now others to step in. He's made the sacrifice initially, first fruits, the first stake in the ground. And he says this, I am donating more than 112 tons of gold from or for 262 tons of refined silver to be used for the overlaying walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Then he ends with this, now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? You know why he did that? It's because the heart of a king is to raise up kings. The heart of a king is to raise up those with kingly mindsets. He's like, will you follow my example today? Will you do what I have done? I'm making a statement today. Will you follow? I remember years ago, and I've shared this story many times, I was in uh, Toronto, and this couple came into the meeting, and I had this word of knowledge before they came into the meeting. I had this guy's name, and what they, what they were wearing, I knew. I saw a vision of a guy wearing a black shirt with a specific name. And when, I, they, when the meeting started, I called out the name. This individual stood up. He was wearing a black shirt. And I had this whole word about being a king of finance, that, you are, that God calls you a king. God calls you a king of finance. This whole word about being a king of finance, great wealth. And, and you know, they were already significantly wealthy at this point. And uh, I, at that point in my life, at that j- exact juncture, we were like, we were stepping out in faith a lot financially, and we like were just making it. And um, when I left that conference that I was speaking at, the next day God spoke to me and he said to me, will you actually 
partner with the word you gave that individual. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, remember that teaching that you've been talking about for a while? You know, the, in Matthew 2, the wise man. What did the wise man bring two-year-old Jesus? He wasn't a baby, by the way. He was two years old. What did the wise man bring two-year-old Jesus? Frankincense or myrrh, frankincense, and gold. And years ago, God began to speak to me about these three different levels of giving. And about how myrrh represented like the basic starting point. Myrrh was used to embalm bodies. It speaks of humanity, compassion, benevolence. Anybody can go onto the street and buy somebody a sandwich. Help somebody out. Give them 20 bucks. Give them 100 bucks. Buy them a jacket. Get, get them some clothes. You know, any, anybody can do that. That's like basic level of giving. And everybody should be doing that at some level. We call that alms giving. It's benevolent giving. That's the first level. Myrrh was representative of that first level of giving. Humanity, just loving humanity with their basic needs. But we often stop there. And then he talked to me about frankincense. Frankincense was used in the temple during worship. And how frankincense represents the second level of giving, which actually includes tithing and offering. Tithing is giving a percentage of your income, trusting God, with 90% of your income because you're giving him 10%. Offering is above and beyond that. Now, that's a whole other teaching. We're not going to go into that. But frankincense represented that second level of giving, and most people stop there. They live there. So that's like where they're living. He said the third level, not a lot of people operate in this, Sean. He said the third level, gold, you see, gold was the language of kings in the Old Testament. Kings would bring kings gold. You know, it was a story about Alexander the Great where he was in the courtyard one day and there was this peasant, this individual that was begging for money, that had no money. And the king, Alexander the Great, dropped into this guy's lap uh, some gold coins. And the, the, uh, the, the servant that was serving the king at the time said, why would you give that guy gold coins? You could have gave him copper. It would have met his need. And he said, he turned to his servant and said, gold beats my need. Yeah, I could give to someone's need. That's great. But that's like the lowest level of giving. The lowest level of giving. It's not bad. It's really good. Do that. But it's the first level. Gold is the language of kings. And so you look, look, think about if you read the scripture. Sorry, I'm going a little on a rabbit trail right now. But talk with me for a second. The Queen of Sheba. When she was inquiring of King Solomon's wisdom, what did she bring Solomon? The King, king Solomon was the richest guy on the planet that we know of at that time. Okay? He was the richest guy. The Queen of Sheba was like, I want to get around this guy. He's so wise. also the wisest guy. I want to get around his wisdom. I want to see how his kingdom runs. I want to see his administration. I want to see how he manages things. So she comes to inquire Solomon's wisdom. What does she bring? A whole bunch of gold. A whole bunch of resources. Solomon did not need the gold. He had all the gold. That wasn't the point. It was more about honor than it was about generosity now. Who was the person that the wise men were blessing? The king. The greatest king. The king of kings. And it was wisdom. Because it was wise men. It was wisdom to bring benevolence. It was wisdom to bring the tithe and the offering. It was wisdom to give a king what he did not need because of honor. 
So God began to speak to me about this. I can feel the weight of it in the room as I'm sharing it. God began to speak to me about this. When I gave this word to this individual, he said, Are you, I want, will you be willing to partner with that word? And I'm like, I, I don't have a lot of money. So God said to me, I want you to buy that individual, that couple, gold. And gold's expensive. I mean, especially if you buy an ounce of it right now. He said, I want you to buy that, that couple gold as a statement. And it was a step of faith. I'm like, okay. So we literally bought physical gold and we sent it to them. And I wrote a little note and said, I just feel like I'm supposed to partner with this word. You are kings of finance. Kings give kings gold. This is to honor you. It's to honor. It's not because you need it because they are wealthy. They didn't need the money. Some of you could say, well, you could have given that money to the poor. Well, we also do that. That's the same spirit that Judas operated under when he said of Mary giving the offering of perfume worth of a, worth of a year's wages, you could have given that money to poor. The poor, not that he cared for the poor. That's what it says. Not that he even cared for the poor. He was virtue signaling. Because you can't just operate at one level and stay there. People do. They want to operate at one level and just stay at that one level. God wants you to graduate. When you come to a place where you can give to someone that doesn't need it, you've come into a kingly mindset. And that's the hardest challenge because you'll fight with it. You'll be like, they don't need it. You know, look how wealthy they are. No, no, it's honor now. It's honor. People get that from other cultures, by the way, especially in Middle Eastern culture. You go to someone's house for dinner, you don't come without something. We had this Korean couple in our church for years, and every time they'd come to our house, they'd bring a gift. And I'm like, you don't need to do that. Like, you really don't. But it was just part of their culture. And it's so respectable to me. Like, we don't need the gift. But it's like, I feel honored that you brought the gift. And so many cultures operate in this. I think it's something that we've lost in the church. We've lost honor. We think people don't deserve honor because it might get to their head. No, let God deal with that. If you rob somebody from honor because you're acting like God, wondering if it's going to get to their head, you've missed it already, and you're way down on the totem pole. Sorry. You're, you forget generosity. You're way too worried about the outcome. Be worried about the reason why you're doing it because you have the right heart to honor him. Everything you do unto man, you're honoring, you're doing unto God, by the way. When you honor someone and you love someone, it's a reflection of your honor to the king who loves them even more than you do. So don't think when you're honoring somebody, you're doing them a disservice because of what it might do to them. No, you're doing a service to God by honoring those around you. So when I did this, I'm telling you guys, when I did this, I stepped out and I partnered with this word and I gave to someone that didn't need it out of honor, my whole financial situation changed. I saw the direct results almost immediately because I began to partner with God after things that are in his own heart, willing to do something that made no sense to me, but made sense to him. Kings have a generous heart. Last point, number four, and we're done. Kings lead from value, not for it. They lead from value. They don't lead for value. Let me say that again. Kings lead from value, not for it. Do you have the heart of a king? Do you do what you do for value, or do you do what you do because you already have value? God looks at the heart. He looks at the motive. He looks at why we do things. I mean, we see this. I mean, he's, he's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He's like, I'm dwelling in this amazing house, this amazing pad. It's awesome. 
but the, the, the house of God is in shambles. And so I'm going to build something because I value the house of God. I value that, that my God gets the best. I'm going to lead from that place. I have a value for it. Yes, I feel valued, but I have a value for it. And I'm not even going to get to experience it. My son's going to do it, but I'm going to start the process. I'm going to do something about what I value. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 92, verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. See what it says here? Those that are planted in the house of God will flourish. They'll bear fruit in their old age. How many want to bear fruit in their old age? Bearing fruit, never stopping to bear fruit. That's what happens as a result of planting yourself. Take this outside of the house of God. Plant yourself wherever God's called you to be, family, relationships, your job, and watch what good things come out of it. Be flaky and keep pulling yourself up and your roots out every single time things don't go your way and watch yourself not bear fruit in old age. I know that sounds harsh, but we live in a day and age where the culture is full of virtue signaling, hidden behind social media feeds, worried about whether or not we will be the next canceled individual for saying something that someone disagrees with. We have sacrificed living out real value on the altar of social, political, and cultural acceptance. By the time we make it through the week, the gathering of the house of God has become a lazy once a month, twice a month, once every six week, week item on the list to check off sometimes, if that. And so we have a culture that honors our sleep more than we honor getting up early to get our kids and families into the house of God. We have a culture that invests more in sports on the weekends at the expense of gathering as a church and then wonder why our kids have no love for God in his house. The truth, they didn't see their parents make it a priority. We have a culture that is more about what the church can do for them rather than what they can do to contribute to the church, the body of Christ. We have a culture where we give our best to life and our job five days a week, but often our lazy leftovers to God on Sunday. We have a culture that is more concerned about being aligned with a church that aligns with their political, social, and culturally acceptable views rather than a church that preaches and teaches kingdom values with strong biblical theology. This cannot be right. But I have hope that there is a church rising that will truly make his name known in a city, a province, a nation, and the world. I have hope that the people of God are waking up from their slumber in this hour too, what truly could be and the purpose and plan of God for his church, which are his people. I have hope that there is a church that will truly have the heart of the king, Jesus Christ, because he promised us that hell would not prevail against it. And I want to be able to witness the beauty of what, is, what he has promised. The question is, do you, do we, together? I have hope that today in this house that God is raising those with the heart of a king just like David, to be a part of something that changes and transforms future generations. I want you to stand up with me as we pray.